How and when did different nations and cultures arise? Today on Creation Magazine Live, we'll talk about the origin of the nations. The audio podcast that you're about to hear features scientific evidence for biblical creation. For many more evidences for the accuracy of the Bible, visit our website, creation.com. Hi, my name is Calvin Smith. And I'm Richard Fangrad. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. This week we're going to talk about the origin of cultures and nations according to biblical history. Now, uh, in one of the episodes, season two uh, of Creation Magazine Live, uh, we dealt with when God created, yes. right? And if you missed it, you can watch it at our website at creation.com slash cml2-04. So Creation Magazine Live season two, uh, episode four. And in that episode, we, we summarized key evidences all supporting a recent creation. God created about 6,000 years ago, etc. Right, yeah. Now, for this week's program, we move forward in biblical history to the event of the world-destroying flood. And if we want to put dates on these things, we're going to talk about history. That's a good thing to do. That was about 2350 B.C., somewhere right around there. Right. Now, obviously, all nations, if we're talking about the origin of nations here, the nations must have started after that. You had eight people at the time of the fl- who survived the flood, and then the nations came from there. Uh, the question is, are there secular records that confirm that biblical timescale? Right. And the answer is yes. There are secular, lots of secular records. Uh, now, a key event in all of this was the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 10.25, we read about at the birth of Peleg, the birth of Peleg, in his days the earth was divided. We read there in Genesis 10.25. Now, recently some have suggested that this refers to the breakup of the physical earth. Right. But that would have been so catastrophic, it would have, it would have essentially been another global flood. Or it's destructive so, as a global flood, yes, anyway. very destructive. So uh, the word earth, when we're looking at uh, scripture here, we need to be careful how we're looking at this. The word earth, aretz, in the original Hebrew can have uh, uh, different meanings, like most words. Uh, and just like the English word earth. Now the traditional interpretation, and of course this is supported from uh, other verses, uh, we're going to look at those, is that the, um, this refers to the breakup of the people of the earth by language. Of course, at the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages. People groups couldn't speak to each other and then separated out towards the earth. That's why God actually confused the languages, because he told people to spread out over the earth. Um, So let's look at some of these verses. Uh, Genesis 11.1 says, Now the whole earth had one language. Well, obviously, we're not talking about the earth. We're talking about the world, the the people on the the earth. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Genesis 11.9, therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. So when we hear that, the earth of that time, you know, was, was, uh, was broken up, um, we're, we're, talking, we're not talking about uh, the actual dirt, we're talking about the peoples right. of the yeah. earth. So the breakup of, of there, there in Peleg's day is the Tower of Babel event. Right. Now according to biblical chronology, as deducted by Archbishop Usher, the flood occurred 2349, 2348 BC, again, so some, somewhere right. in that time frame. Peleg was born, according to Archbishop Usher, in 2247 BC, about a hundred years, uh, years later. Is there any confirmation about these dates from ancient writers? Now, if we start with the founding of Babylon, let's start there. The Tower of Babel was, was uh, likely in the, on the outskirts of Babylon, that, right. that kind of thing. In 331 BC, after Alexander the Great had defeated Darius, he went to Babylon. There he received 1,903 years of astronomical observations from the Chaldeans, which they claimed dated back to the founding of Babylon. Now, if this was so, that would place the founding of Babylon 
in 2234 B.C. That's about 13 years after the birth of Peleg. Right. And so that fits well. With, with Actually, fits very well. Yeah. <laughs> and Porphyry, an ancient Greek uh, anti-Christian, is what we're getting at. Yeah. Greek philosopher. Uh, he also deduced the same number. He, he was uh, he lived in the third century. Right. So he was great evidence that fits perfectly with the biblical uh, chronology. Yeah. With ec- extra biblical sources. That's right. Uh, concerning the founding of Egypt. Uh, the Byzantine historian Manassas wrote that the Egyptian state lasted 1,663 years. If, if correct, then counting backwards from 526 B.C. when Egypt was conquered, it gives us the year of 2188 B.C. Uh, for the founding of Egypt, which is about 60 years after the birth of Peleg. Um, about this time, Mizraim, the son of Ham, led his colony into Egypt. Hence, the Hebrew word uh, for Egypt is Mizraim. So here again, 60 years after Peleg, this completely makes sense. They move outwards from, uh, from the Tower of Babel right. and, and yep. they start establishing things and fits in with the chronology perfectly. And so the dates line up to after the birth of Peleg. Right. From these, these extra-biblical sources, yep. the dates are lining up. They're supporting the biblical time frame. If we look at the, the founding of Greece, another ancient nation, we have records about the founding of Greece. According to the 4th century bishop and historian uh, Eusebius of Caesarea, the, the king of the Greek city of Sicyon, west of Corinth, began his reign 1,313 years before the first Olympiad, which was in 776 B.C. That would mean that that, that king started to rule to, in, in 2089 B.C. Right. And that's about 160 years after the birth of Peleg. So again, it's after the birth of Peleg. The time scale is right. Yep. This is all confirming the biblical record. All these dates go back to just after the birth of Peleg. From some of the major civilizations that, yes, that we look at. Yes, those ancient civilizations. Yeah. Uh, it just confirms the accuracy of, of the Bible. Right. And of course there's more. Uh, note that Babylon, Egypt, and Greece each spoke a different language. Now these uh, ancient historians have uh, really kind of unwittingly confirmed that the Tower of Babel, uh, which was the origin of languages, must have occurred before the founding of these kingdoms, right? We had to have different languages be right at, at the Tower of Babel, and, and, and so if the different kingdoms had them, and they all take place very shortly after Peleg, well, that means, uh, right, we had to get those uh, languages somewhere. It all fits beautifully. Yeah, so Babel, Babylon being in the same region as the Tower would have been one of the earliest kingdoms, and the dates uh, fit this. And if you want more details on um, what we talked about so far, uh, you can just look up the article in the days of Peleg at creation.com slash Peleg. Right. More confirmation that all the nations uh, began after Babel comes from a study of the origin of languages. Uh, Secular linguists are puzzled by the existence of about 20 or so language families in the world today. The languages within each family and, and the people who speak them are shown to be genetically related, but there are few links between the language families. Right. And this also supports uh, what we see there in Babel. Uh, this is a problem for secular linguists, though, because if speech evolved, and that's the, uh, we start with grunts and you go up from there and so on. If, if speech evolved from a common language, then you would expect that there would be links. Between, genetically. Genetically, yeah, links between all of the languages today, that you could kind of trace the root words back to some sort of right. primitive proto-language that all languages came from. Right. That's if, not what we see. But if God supernaturally uh, gave different people groups different languages, then of course within that people group, that's where you're going to see the similarity in genetics. Um, 
Okay, you know, this is, this is really remarkable when you think about it. This is exactly what we'd expect to find if, if various languages were, were supernaturally given, right? Um, the data from, uh, from, from linguists, so we look at the, the uh, establishment of the different, um, um, you know, cultures, kingdoms, I guess you could say. Yes, this from secular writings. To, we're, we're looking at the Bible and putting dates on those, on those events there based right. on biblical chronology and so on. Then we look at ancient writers and they confirm those dates. That's right. And we hear a lot from people trying to criticize the Bible uh, sometimes. Well, you know, the Bible, it, it just, it just, you know, it's, yes. it doesn't, it's not supported by anything outside of the Bible. And of course, we want to start with the Bible. It's got the ultimate authority. There's no book on the planet that has more authority in the, than the Bible right. in your eyes, right. eyes or uh, CMI, etc. But uh, this claim that the Bible is just sitting on its own somewhere, it's just out in la-la land, doesn't connect to real history, archaeology, science, all those types of things. Uh, it just doesn't hold. Uh, the Bible's got great support from, you know, not only internally, but uh, yeah. externally and so, as well. And, and the way you said it was, was good. I mean, we start with the Bible. It's our authority. Right. But we don't end there. I mean, it, it's, it, it, what we believe is we want to be sure that what we're believing isn't some, some fairy tale, some cunningly devised fable, as, as Peter says. Right. But it's supported by other things. And that's what we've just done here in these first few minutes. We're looking at ancient writings and archaeology and so on also confirms that, and it supports what the Bible says. Our faith right. as Christians is not a blind faith. Yeah, we're not bubble people sitting out there saying, you know, <laughs> you know what I, mean? I mean, there's a lot of faith systems out there. For example, you know, if you wanted to say, well, I believe in reincarnation, say, okay, is All there right. any evidence from history, archaeology, science? How would I test that? Yeah, How would I test yeah. that I used to be, you know, a woman uh, <laughs> a thousand years ago in <laughs> Greece, or just, you know what I mean? It, it's just how, what, what kind of test could you put to that? What we're showing right. is that look, you can put the scripture to the test, right? The secular history gives a lot of evidence to show um, that the survivors of Noah's flood they were real historic figures. This isn't just names that somebody scrawled down in some kind of uh, fairy tale somewhere. Uh, and and actually, that these historical figures they were they're a big part of the ancient world, right? So if you have a Bible, you can open it to uh, Genesis ten. Uh, chapter is what most people call the Table of Nations, right? right? And most Bibles also include a map. It kind of looks something like this. And uh, uh, the map shows the areas where um, most of the 16 grandsons of Noah moved in the years following Babel. So several things uh, happened here, right? Yes, yeah. And we can, uh, we can look at some things that happened there. Uh, people in various areas called themselves by the name of the man who was their common ancestor. We see that happening over and over again. They called their land and often their major city or, or major river by his name. We see, see that happening as well. Sometimes the various nations fell off into ancestor worship, and when that happened, it was natural for them to name their god after the man who was their ancestor of all of them or to claim that their long-living ancestor is their god. Right. So we, we see those kinds of things there. And, and what all of that means is that the, the evidence has been preserved in a way that can never be erased. It's recorded in history. Right. The ancient names of these, these different lands and the cities and rivers and so on, uh, we still have those today, or derivations of those today. Right. So we can look at a few examples here. We've already uh, mentioned one, uh, Mizraim. Yes. It's the Hebrew word for Egypt. Right? And the name Egypt appears hundreds of times in the Old Testament, um, and well, with one exception, is always a translation of the word Mizraim. Um, example, at the burial of Jacob, the Canaanites observed the mourning of the Egyptians and so called the place Abel Mizraim. And you can see that in Genesis 50 11. 
Now, Canaan is also a familiar name, isn't it? Many, of course, if you're familiar with your Bible, you recognize the name Canaan. It's the Hebrew name for the region later called by the Romans, Palestine. It's, it's modern-day Israel and Jordan. Now, from Canaan came Sidon, the founder of that ancient city that still bears that name. It's an exact, it's still the name Sidon. And uh, that's an example of where it bears exactly the same name as one of the descendants of Noah. Now, in, in, in other cases, a nation or region will be a variation on one of the names of Noah. For example, Heth was one of the sons of Canaan, so grandson of Noah, and, uh, and was the patriarch of the Hittite nation. So you have Heth and the Hittites. But certainly that can be traced back to Heth. Right. Linguists can... Follow that. Yeah, follow that back to back to Noah yeah. ultimately. Uh, Meshek is the uh, ancient name for Moscow. Yes, and to this day, one section, the uh, Meshera Lowland, still carries the name of Meshek, virtually unchanged uh, since it or originated. Uh, in other cases, uh, history records the name you know changes, or, or we get translations into other languages. But uh, here, in, in this case, it's a it's a perfect. Um, Match, yes. we could say. Yes, and it, we can look at an example of exactly that, where the translation has changed the name. Uh, one of Noah's uh, great-grandsons is Ashkenaz. He's the, the, the son of Gomer, which is a grandson of Noah. Right. And the translation of Ashkenaz, in, uh, or Ashkenaz into German is, is Germany. Right. So that's, just, that's, that's Ashkenaz translated into German is Germany. That's, so again, there's these names that have been imprinted on the ancient world and just testify to the extreme accuracy of the table of nations that you see there in your Bibles in Genesis 10. Right. And, and we, we have that there. It's just, just wonderful to have that confirmation from these looking at ancient nations, the, the names of things and so on and seeing that just line up beautifully with what the right. Bible says in Genesis. You know, we understand not everybody is going to uh, trust the Scripture uh, like we do, etc. You know, and they need to spend some time investigating things and stuff. But, you know, to be honest, from some, some you know, very, what I would consider low-level critics of the Bible, atheists, etc. Sometimes you go on YouTube and you see <laughs> these using people. nice names, right? Low-level critics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, ranting and stuff like that. You just hear ridiculous things like, well, yes. the Bible's just a fairy tale. It's just a made-up, you know, book and blah, blah, blah. It's like, people don't even realize the amount of history they would have to jettison. I'm, I'm talking real history from historians. Uh, you know, even many Bible critics that don't sure. believe the Bible say, look, the Bible is one of the most accurate uh, historical books that we have. It's a, it's a great record of history, and, and, yeah. and we can trust it in so many different areas. So, uh, really, it's just great support for Christians to know that real history backs up, uh, you know, the history in the Bible. Uh, and if you've enjoyed uh, some of the things we've been talking about as far as, you know, Noah's grandsons and where they spread out and stuff like that, got a great article on the website, The 16 Grandsons of Noah. And you can uh, check that out at creation.com slash grandsons. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, look into the, that area. Well, let's continue. Um, you know, if, if the Bible's real history, if the Tower of Babel's a, re a real event, if people groups spread out from one area, uh, we should have evidence of that. And actually, we do. Uh, interesting when you look at some of the Chinese characters, right? You, you know, uh, obviously, the, the written language is, is written up of symbols. Each symbol uh, means certain things. And if you make combinations of certain symbols to make larger symbols, they often have, have different words, different words yeah, and different words. meanings, etc. And we're going to show several modern uh, Chinese characters that show the, uh, the ancient Chinese actually knew the gospel. 
uh, found in the book of Genesis. And, and so, amazing. yeah, we'll look in uh, this, this book, Oracle Bones Speak. Uh, you can see hundreds of examples like this. Uh, the, the book, you can find it at creation.com, at, at the resource uh, area. But uh, let's look at this. Okay, so we're looking at the word for um, uh, boat. boat here. Okay, now it's made up of three separate uh, other um, gra uh, graphics here. One is a vessel. Uh, one is the number eight, and one is people. The, the, question, the question that arises is, why would the word boat be composed of those <laughs> of, other smaller words? Of eight people what? on a boat. Why, why is it, you know, a large boat? And, and so we look at Genesis 6, 9, it says, you know, eight people survived the flood uh, on this boat. Yeah, why would that be, you know, that's... Yeah. Pretty, pretty arbitrary in a sense, right? Kind of like the history of Genesis is built into the to the word large boat. That's referring yeah. to more of a Why large boat. Why would the number boat? eight be there? Well, yes. Noah's three sons and their wives, right? Hmm. Uh, look at, let's look at this uh, word for to covet or desire. Well, here we have the symbol for two trees plus a woman, and that equals to covet or desire. Again, you've got to ask the question, why would two trees plus a woman equal the word to covet. Right. Why isn't it two gold or two diamond rings plus woman oh, equals yeah, okay. covet desire? Well, why isn't it something else? Why is it two trees? Right? Well, Genesis 3, uh, 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, well, she, she coveted it, it right? She, coveting, yeah. yeah, like that. Okay, well, let's look at another one. How about the uh, word forbidden, uh, to warn? Well, here again, we have the two trees, which is, again, uh, see, it would be enough of a coincidence the first time, but, but to have two trees again that symbolize something like yeah, this, and yeah. then God, that's the word for, for uh, forbidden or to warn. Well, Genesis 2, 16, 17, uh, says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's uh, forbidden. It's forbidden, and there was a, <laughs> a warning there. Again, why would two trees have anything to do with that? Uh, fascinating information. Uh, you can check out on an article on our website called Chinese Characters and Genesis, and you can find that at creation.com slash characters. Another thing we can think about is, where are all the people? That's a question we can ask. Where are all the people? The current growth rate of, of the world's population is about 1.1% 1, 1 .1 per year. In other words, for every 100 million people, 1.1 are added, 1.1 million are added every year. Right. That's basic math. So it takes less than half a percent to get from the flood to 7 billion people. And today's growth rate is 1.1%. So it, it, we don't have to have elevated growth rates in, in this supposedly shortened time scale from the flood to now. How, how can we get 7 billion people? We can get it quite easily. All you need is half a percent. Right. And we have more than that right now. Exactly. And there's, there's more detail. Go to creation.com slash people for more of the math and the, and the calculations on that. Yep. Yeah. Uh Egyptian history fits biblical uh, history. Yes. You know, for years, the popular media has mocked uh, the biblical accounts of Joseph, Joseph and Moses, and the Passover and the Exodus, and uh, you know that, that that's completely incompatible with uh, Egyptian chronology. But year after year, we've been told uh, that these uh, events in the books of Genesis and Exodus, well, they're nice legends, but they're they're void of any historical or archaeological context, right? Um, of course, that's changing. Scholars uh, with diverse backgrounds are, are, are calling uh, for a drastic reduction in the Egyptian chronology. Uh, substantial amounts of evidence uh, to, to show no, that this actually lines up with what the Bible says from modern scholars. So, great evidence that you can trust the Bible, and we'll be back shortly.
Welcome back. We're going to look at some feedback that we uh, receive every now and then. Yes. And uh, this is from uh, a Christian. And uh, the article was called Handling Aggressive Atheists. You can check that out for the full blow-by-blow uh, -blow account. But we just want to go over this here. I think this is a great... Uh, a great topic to, to cover well, with people. A lot of Christians are, are having to deal with aggressive atheists nowadays and, right. and, and, getting, and getting beaten down. So here's some, right. here's some encouragement for you. Yeah. So he said, as a Christian, I find sharing the gospel very difficult, not in that I don't know how, but in how do you respond to atheists who angrily attack Christianity. I'm finding no one can have a normal discussion. Maybe yeah. you can touch on this point uh, to, to an article uh, that addresses this. Um, I just want to make one comment before we, we go here. I don't find in person, I find a lot of That's angry, uh, you know, aggressive atheists. Yes. Uh, you know, in yes. person, you're looking at the person's eyes. They're looking at you. You can see the body language. I, I've very rarely had someone just, you know, yeah. go nuclear on me, uh, whether <laughs> even if I'm out presenting or something like that, because, you, you know, but I find it, you know, it's kind of like being in your car. You're driving down the 401. Somehow people think that because they're in their little bubble world, they can be rude and throw gestures at you and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you both pull into the same gas station and you both step out and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, and, and I find the internet's very much like that. The because internet seems to bring out the worst in people, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. and, and people aren't seeing people face to face. It's, it's dehumanizing in the sense, and so that's usually where you find it. So, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. so one of our new speakers, Keaton, uh, Keaton Haley responded to this. Yeah. Uh, he gives he lists five points here, and we can just uh, uh, read these as he wrote them. He did a good job. Consider number one: consider yourself blessed and rejoice that you are enduring hardship, even if it is a minor hardship, as being mocked for Christ's sake. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look at First Peter four thirteen and fourteen, your reward is in heaven. In Matthew five. 11 and 12, it talks about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right. And in that First Peter passage, it says that uh, uh, if, if you're attacked for sharing Christ, you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah. So rejoice. So you might want to ask them to do it some more. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. No, maybe not. Uh, point number two, don't respond in kind since we are not to return evil for evil, 1 Peter 3.9, but to keep a clear conscience, 1 Peter 3.16. Uh, we should not answer a foolish person by adopting his bad behavior or wrong way of thinking, Proverbs 26.4. Uh, and uh, see the article, don't answer, do answer. It'll give you more information on that. Um, sometimes you need directness, you need strong words. Um, but remember that a, a soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. doesn't mean you, you don't stand up for yourself uh, and don't take heat in a sense, but don't be a green, uh, mean and aggressive back. It's not what we're called yeah, to do. Know how to respond. Uh, number three, if you, can, if you can tell that you're wasting your breath on somebody who's only interested in mocking rather than pursuing, that rather than pursuing truth, move on. Yeah. And, and have a look at Matthew 7, verse 6 for that. Uh, you might explain to your critic that there's no point in continuing the discussion unless he's willing to dial back the emotions and really listen, and uh, when, when it's your turn to speak, that they really listen, etc., etc., yeah. or that they actually, if you're linking to articles on creation.com, that you insist that they read them before coming back and commenting right. again. I, I've, I've just found an interesting phenomenon that there are some people out there that seem to have a massive amount of free time to just sit there and mock <laughs> Christians. Do they have jobs or anything? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Be prepared to gently and respectively, uh, respectfully defend your Christian convictions. Yeah, I mean, you have to know your Bible, right? Don't say the wrong thing. Know the common objections, things like that. Uh, yes, yeah. Basic advice. Yeah. And number five, remember that it isn't your job to convert atheists. <laughs> That's God's job. Right. Come on, come on back next week.
You've been listening to the podcast version of Creation Magazine Live, produced by Creation Ministries International. With offices internationally and more scientists on staff than any Christian ministry, you can find loads of faith-supporting articles on our massive website, creation.com. Check it out. 